morning, everybody. Uh, we're in Acts 8 this morning, so if you want to head there in your Bible, um, I'm just going to start a timer. Um, I'm not going to be four minutes, I can tell you that already, but um, I'll try and be, I'll try and be short. Uh, so I'm not going to read the whole of Acts 8, uh, I'm just going to pick up, focus on verses 1 to 8 and 14 to 17. Uh, so Acts 8 verse 1. And Saul approved of his, that is uh, Stephen, who we've heard about the last few weeks, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And then jumping down to verse 14. Uh, uh, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So before we get um, before we get going, it's just important to, to know a little of the backstory and the context of of what's some of what's going on here. And that is a history of hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Now I don't have time to unpack the whole story. So if you wanna read a little more of the history, you can go to, to 1 Kings 11 and 12 and 2 Kings 17. Um, but essentially in the eyes of the Jews, the Samaritans are bitter enemies because there's been a rebellion, a, a civil war. Um, they're racially inferior because they've married Canaanites who have pagan religions um, and they're heretics because they've taken some of those pagan religions and they've mixed them with the Jewish religion. Um, so there's this centuries old history of racial hatred between these two people groups. And so we get to this passage here in Acts 8 and Stephen's been martyred for his faith as we heard over the last few weeks and his death has sparked this huge persecution against the church in Jerusalem, forcing everybody but the apostles out into Judea and Samaria. And Philip's been forced out into Samaria, and as he goes, he's preaching the good news about Jesus. And incredibly, given some of the history we now know, the Samaritans respond to him. They hear his words, they see the signs that God's doing through Philip, and they respond to Jesus. And the result is much joy in that city, which I think is a fantastic line isn't that our prayer for Swindon that as the church does what she's called to do as we uh, respond to the call of God on our lives that there is much joy in this city in this town amen so anyway the Samaritans the Samaritans have responded and the apostles back in Jerusalem they hear about this and they send Peter and John to take a look and Peter and John have come for two reasons firstly because the, the apostles, Peter and John, they needed to confirm that God was including even the Samaritans 
in this gospel community of the church. They, the apostles, they needed to see it to believe it. And secondly, because the Samaritans themselves, they needed to, to know that they were being welcomed in by the leaders of the church, the apostles. Some, some freelance Christian evangelists like Philip just didn't quite cut the mustard. They needed the assurance of the apostles. Um, and so the apostles, they, they see that the Samaritans really had been saved and they lay hands on them, which is incredible. You know, I think first and foremost, this laying on of hands is a sign of friendship, of welcome, of blessing. And only secondly, is it a sign of them receiving the Holy Spirit? So these Samaritans who were despised are now welcomed in. They're shown love and friendship and blessing. They're included in this new community that Jesus has formed by his Holy Spirit. So the main, the main question that we need to ask from this passage is not about how or when we should pray for people to be filled with the Spirit, but instead the main question is who are our modern day Samaritans? Who are the despised by our society, the shameful to associate with, the outcasts? Who are those people in our society and what are we doing personally and corporately together as the church to go towards them and reach out a hand of fellowship of love, of welcome, of blessing. Now, as I ask this question, you have to hear me being honest for a moment because I am not doing this very well. Um, there is a great King's Kaleidoscope song that um, suggests that much of the talk of Western Christianity has just become truth without the walk. Um, and so I am genuinely preaching this to myself. It's the question that I'm asking of my life, of mine and Katie's time, of who we open our home to, of who we use our resources to bless. Um, and, I, and it's my prayer for Katie and I that, that God would fill us with his spirit and change our hearts so that we'd live differently out of the back of this pandemic. Um, but it's the main question that this passage raises for us. However, the reality is that the world, the society that we live in, it just doesn't function like this, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't work of, of going towards those who are the most despised. Even this week, there's been a, you know, admittedly somewhat superficial example in the world of football. And if you don't follow football, uh, you might have missed that 12 of the uh, self-styled leading clubs. And I certainly question that for a few of them, um, but 12 of the the biggest brands, the richest clubs in European football announced that they were going to split from the existing European competitions and form their own exclusive European Super League, um, which they can never get relegated or removed from. Only a few others can join each year. And on top of all of that, it comes with a nice three and a half billion bonus for them to all share around. Um, and after this announcement, the football world just kind of kicked off in Outrage. Fans, journalists, media companies, players and managers, uh, Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer, even Prince William had his say. Um, you know, it's not good for the football pyramid. It's not good for grassroots football. It's all about money and greed. I think I read one article that said this is a dagger in the heart of grassroots football. Um, and in fact, most of what they're saying is true, right? It's the way our world works. The elite, the popular, the rich, they should form their own exclusive group, the unimportant, the lowly, the poor. Well, 
they can be left to fend for themselves. We might throw them a bit of cash every now and again to, to make ourselves look good, to build up our brand, to feel a little bit better about ourselves. But by and large, they can do their own thing. But in spite of all the outrage, I also wonder, um, you know, if that is also true for some of those media companies and football authorities and governments asking questions, how many of those were genuinely outraged because of the effect it might have on football clubs at the bottom of the pyramid, I think it's more likely that they were concerned they were out of, going to be out of pocket too. Unfortunately, it's the way that our world works. But, and here's the good news, the kingdom of God works utterly different to this world. God to whom three and a half billion is pocket money. God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills in whose hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains. God whose breath gives us life, who holds all things together. God who's the only truly exclusive one. You know, there's no one like him, no other God, no one as holy as other, as set apart. This God, he took on flesh to live amongst us, filthy lowly sinners and even then he didn't come to the powerful and the popular amongst us he didn't come to the romans to the pharisees to the religious or the ruling elite jesus came to the prostitutes to the tax collectors to the lepers to the lame the beggars the demon afflicted he came to the lowly the poor the despised in his society the untouchables and what does he do? He befriends, he welcomes, he blesses, he loves. And ultimately, he lays down his life. He lays down his life that the least may be lifted up, that the filthy and the shameful might be lifted from the dust, lifted from the ash heap, lifted from their sin, from, from our sin, to be seated with princes, to receive an inheritance that the Bible says is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He offers us his hand and he invites us into everlasting joy. To love the unloved and the unlovable is the call of every believer. Why? Because it's who God is. It's what he does. It's the example that he calls us to follow. The only being in the universe able to be truly and justifiably exclusive, chooses to be radically and lovingly inclusive. I love that, um, that story from Pete Gregg's book, Dirty Glory, um, which if you've not read it, it's worth reading. So there's this uh, a lady called Kelly um, who has followed the leading of God and moved to a place called Boys Town, uh, which is a walled uh, shanty town on the border, on the Mexican border, and it's a it's a red light compound run by cartels and it's full of the despised, the dirty, the shameful, the prostitutes, the drug dealers, the criminals. And Kelly's there, having left her home in Oklahoma, reaching out a hand of friendship, of welcome, of blessing, of love to those who are normally only noticed when someone wants to abuse them. But the part of the story that kind of always gets me emotional is when she invites her pastor back uh, uh, from her home church in Oklahoma she invites her pastor to come and visit with Pete Gregg a guy called Roger and they're invited back to the house of one of Kelly's friends um, a smoking 
drug dealing, former prostitute called Nora. And someone's there playing some traditional Mexican music and, um, and Pete Gregg writes this. Slowly, deliberately, Roger stood up, put down his tea and reached out a hand, reached out a hand to touch Nora's shoulder. She winced and spun around to search his eyes for clues, expecting the inevitable assault. But Roger just smiled, completely unfazed. Carefully placing his other hand on her other arm, he politely invited her to dance, as if her bikini was a ball gown and she was queen of the prom. Glancing at Kelly for reassurance, Nora relented. Seeing this, the mariachi strummed flamenco and sang even louder, while the Tulsa pastor innocently took the former hooker in his arms and began to guide her gently around her little room. Nora smiled, flashing that one gold tooth, enjoying for a moment the sense of dignity in the company of a man without any ulterior motive. Outside in the street, they were prowling, inflamed with lust, and women were selling themselves too broken to care. But inside Nora's tiny house that night, the mariachi sang, Nora danced, and I swear I sensed the father smile. It was an exquisite picture of grace, one of the most beautiful dances I'll ever see. Roger extends a hand of welcome, of blessing, of friendship and love to Nora as he invites her to dance, as he invites her into a small moment of joy. And Pete, Pete goes on to write this. He says, in Christ, we find the name above every name, the single key to eternal salvation, recklessly risking his reputation for the sake of love. He clearly didn't care about the opinions of the religious establishment. He wasn't afraid of being corrupted by sinful company. He didn't feel the need to protect his precious brand. Again and again, Jesus chose to plant his glory in the dirt. And that's what I want to call us to this morning, to ask the question of who the Samaritans of our time are, the despised and the dirty in our society. And for us, empowered by the Spirit, follow in the footsteps of Christ, going towards them and laying on a hand of blessing, of friendship, of welcome, of love, extending an invitation to joy, to not worry about protecting our brand, our image, our carefully curated Instagram profile lives, and to choose to plant our glory such that it is in the dirt. Just as a, a real example, just take a moment to think very honestly about how many homeless people you and I have just walked past, heads turned away. Or worse, how many times you've just chucked a few coins or notes at them, like those Super League clubs, because it makes our brand look a little better, a little more Christian. It makes us feel a little better about ourselves. And I'm not saying that we should stop and, and talk to every homeless person that we meet, but also I kind of am saying that because that's exactly what Jesus would do. He stopped, he reached out his hand, and he loved, blessed, welcomed, befriended. And that kind of radical 
love is what Jesus invites us into as he says, follow me. And just to um, just to finish, you know, I think this is a unique moment for us to live differently going forwards. It's interesting that in this story in Acts 8, it takes a huge upheaval in the church, this great persecution following Stephen's death to force the believers out of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria, which is the place, you know, the places that Jesus told them to go to way back in Acts 1. Um, God used that persecution to get the church doing what she was called to do. And we also, we've had a huge upheaval in the church, this pandemic. And I wonder if God is using this pandemic to again get the church doing what she's called to do, to force us out from huddling in our little Jerusalem and to go out to the Samaritans of our time. Let's not miss the moment. Can I just pray to finish? Father, we thank you that you sent your son, your glorious, holy, divine, eternal son to take on flesh amongst us dirty, despicable sinners. You chose to plant your glory in the dirt. Jesus, I thank you that you extend to us a hand of blessing, of welcome, of friendship, of love, that you, like Roger did to Nora, hold out your hand and invite us to dance, to know joy, to know love, to know dignity. And Jesus, we long for the day when we, the church, your bride, will finally dance with her bridegroom in glory. But we pray, would you come soon? And Holy Spirit, we pray, would you fill us with power this morning? Would you soften and change our hearts? Holy Spirit, we pray that we would live differently going forward. We pray that um, we would follow in your footsteps, Lord Jesus. That we would ask the question of who the Samaritans of our time are and that we would, um, full of your spirit, be emboldened to go towards them. Be full of the uh, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray you fill us with compassion and love, Lord, to, to live that kind of radical love. Would you empower us to follow in your footsteps, Lord Jesus? Would you empower us as the church to do all that you have called us to do, that there may be much joy in this city? We worship you and we love you. Amen.